0: Hey, y'all. Welcome back to another episode of Well-Lit Path. Uh, We're going to have some worship here very shortly. But first, how's your week been? Uh, This last week's actually been a relaxing one for me. Uh, Not that I've slowed down any, but I'm starting to feel like I have more of a plan for what's going on in my life and that I'm actually able to follow it. Uh, As a personality, I tend to lean of toward the logical side of things. So my world feels chaotic when I feel like I don't have a plan in place that I'm able to follow. Of course, then I remember eventually that my plans are only as good as the direction they take according to God's plan. Uh, once I'm able to let go a little and have things make more sense in God's timing, it becomes easier for me to see some reason in the chaos. You know, no one can plan like our God, Uh, the master of the long game. He's the order in what may seem to us like chaos. I mean, he set plans in motion before the dawn of time that still have yet to come to fruition. Where I think I have logic and a plan attached to something, it isn't even a facsimile of the depth to which God can take a master plan. The one who set the universe in motion looks at our plans like we look at a child's like minute-to-minute play planning. However, we we do have to remember that God does prefer a plan, uh, which is why he has a master plan for each and every life. You know, as we speak of setting the universe in motion, we come right around to... Psalm 8. I don't have any other classification for this psalm than worship. Not only does he speak of worshiping God, it speaks of what makes him worthy of worship. So, without talking a whole lot about the psalm before we just go ahead and dive into it, let's just go ahead and read it. Psalm 8, beginning in verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, how." Excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him? and the Son of Man, that thou visitest him. For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air and the fish of the sea, And whatsoever passeth through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. You know, I'll tell you what, this is a worship song if I've ever heard one. David says, Jehovah, our master, how excellent is your name. How mighty is how this word is translated elsewhere. It's translated glorious in yet other passages. How excellent is it in all the earth? It's more wonderful than the sunset. It's more beautiful than the majesty of the Rockies. It's more awesome than any architecture or sculpture made by man. In all the earth. The name of God is better than anything he has created or anything that his creation can fashion. And this is why the second commandment forbade the making of any graven image of God. Because no representation of him that we could fashion would be excellent enough to depict him. In all the earth, we couldn't contain his glory, which is why he set it above the heavens. No glimpse of the night sky can even allude to his grandeur. You know, in the, in the far northern and southern hemispheres, charged particles from the sun collide with the Earth's atmosphere. Now, protected by the wonder of Earth's magnetic field, these particles are pulled toward the northern and southern poles of the Earth, and the charged particles cause the atmosphere to fluoresce due to their incredibly high velocity, Now, all of those scientific terms give us the beauty of the Aurora Borealis and the Aurora Australis, which we know commonly as the Northern and the Southern Lights. But even these spectacular events are only evidence of God's glory. They're not his direct glory. No, his glory is higher, better, far above all that we can see or imagine, but as we look around the earth and at the heavens, we see glimpses of the evidence of his glory. It all speaks of the excellence of his name. David points out that out of the mouths of children, God has ordained truth to be heard. And Jesus echoes this. Well, I mean, let's face it. He authored it through David as well, but he echoes it in Matthew eleven twenty five 25, when as he is berating the cities he spent so much of his time in among his people, the Jews, he says to his father that God had hidden the truth from those that think themselves to be wise and has revealed it to babes or children. I find it all too interesting, the marvelous trust and faith of a child. You know, Jokingly, I've kind of always said that my plan is to teach my grandchildren kind of in secret that the grass is in fact blue and the sky green and that they shouldn't believe what anyone else ever tells them because grandpa knows best. Well, I would never do that. Maybe. Children have such faith and trust that I do believe it would be possible to train a child's mind in this way. It's their simplicity and the ability to take things at face value. We think about how a child believes, and it's so easy for them to believe in things. You know, if you had the great blessing of growing up in church, uh, do you remember kind of hearing the wonder that you felt when you heard about God parting the Red Sea For the Israelites. Or the many stories of of Christ healing the man who couldn't walk, the man that couldn't see. You know, I remember reading about how he fed the Israelites with manna from heaven. Or I I remember thinking as a child how cool it was that after Jesus' resurrection, like the the apostles were in an upper room and all of a sudden he was just there. You know, these miracles that we read about as children just struck us with wonder. And as we grow older and we assume that we better know or understand God, how our wonderment at his countless miracles dim and fade as we really just seem to take his awesomeness for granted. As our intellect plays the enemy to God's glory, strength of wisdom can be found in the simple belief that he is still awesome. The more we know of him, the more awestruck we should be, not less. It is the simplest of knowledge that can still the one who would say, there is no God. We have to remember that the burden of proof lies with the one who does not believe not with the one who does. We we tend to get so caught up in apologetics and don't get me wrong, apologetics are necessary and valuable and should be learned and to an extent mastered by all Christians. But we have to remember that it's not on us to prove the existence of God. It's on the unbeliever to prove that he doesn't exist. And it becomes much simpler to still the mouth of the dissenter in their rantings and fantastical claims when we put the burden of proof on them. And David gives us ammunition here. When I consider the heavens. This is more than a glimpse at the night sky. Take a minute and look up at night. Try and count the stars and see how far you get. David tells us in a later psalm that God has numbered them. He's numbered the stars. He's named them. Speaking them into existence, his word flung them out precisely where they were intended to be. Punctuation in this verse was added by the translators, but how more personal the verse if we read it when I consider your heavens, me, the one crafted by your fingers, when I look at how you've hung the moon and the stars. We're the only thing God stooped down to fashion. While the bulk of creation was spoken into existence, he paused and spoke of the intent of making man before he rolled up his sleeves and formed us from the dust of the ground. As David took in the light of the moon, amazed by its immenseness and the way it lit up the night sky, he was amazed. How this light hung in the sky surrounded by the many stars. There were no artificial lights to cause a glow in the sky back then. There wasn't a 24-hour truck stop sign off in the distance. The glow from a million street lights didn't put the orangish-yellow haze in the night sky. The moon was the source of light by which to navigate by at night how he wondered at God's, at God's wisdom to have a light to rule the day and then one for the night. As he looked and considered in wonderment the glory of God's creation, how small he felt. God stooped to form me? What is man that you're mindful of him? Who am I? to deserve your consideration or even further david could understand god's thought for the creation of adam and eve but why still give consideration to the generations removed in which david found himself and why would the lord be interested in my life i'm i'm no david i'm no daniel Joshua was so much more spiritual than I. And and Paul was a genius level intellect, a a master wordsmith, a master of, of argument and persuasion. Who am I that the Lord God that created the sun, the moon, and the stars would think of me? In the great vastness of the universe on a rock that must look like a speck of dust in the greatness of space, we must seem like a mite, less than a subatomic particle on that speck. And yet God considers us. He fashioned us. He wants a relationship with us. He loves us. How? Why? He he's made us a little lower than the angels. Not lower in importance, mind you. The angels also being created beings, God did not crown the angels with glory and honor. No, we're lower in longevity. Well, the angels existed before us, but not before God. And we're a little lower in supernatural power because the angels operate in God's power without the hindrance of sin. But we are not lower in position. The angels cannot experience the redemptive work of Christ. Listener, Christian, unbeliever, salvation was purchased just for you. God held you in such high esteem, cared so much for you, loved you so much that he sent his son to live a perfect life because we never could. Only for him to die a wretched death to pay for every sin, every time we've broken God's law so that we could know his glory and wonder at his majesty with the eyes of a born-again Christian who has experienced that which the angels cannot fathom, redeeming grace. And this grace isn't something you have to labor for. This grace isn't something you can obtain or earn. Who are we to approach God as our sinful selves. And David understood we're an affront to an almighty and holy God as sinners. We're not the way he intended in our current state. And how David's past sins must have made him thoughtful of how he didn't deserve for God to think of him. Look, Lord, everything you've created it works exactly as you intended. The sun rises in the east and sets in the west. The moon rises and effectuates the tides, and the stars sing of your praises. The animals, they do exactly as you've designed them. The grass grows, the tree brings forth fruit, it protects us from the heat of the sun. The wasp, the bee, the fly, even the mosquito, Lord, they have their purpose and they fulfill it naturally. But here we are and we stray from you. We move from where we should naturally be by your side. We falter in our relationship with you. And I find myself here all too often. And when I'm there, I can't help but think, God, what purpose could you possibly have for me? I've failed you again. I don't have the skill set I perceive is needed to serve you. I'm not good enough for your purpose. Of all the people you could use, why would he even consider using me? And maybe you're there. Maybe you would say, God, I have this thing in my life that I can't overcome. Why would you want to use me? God, I have this physical obstacle that just, it's an ailment that I have that I can't overcome. How could you use me? I have this past. I have a history. How could you use me? Who... Who am I that you would be mindful of me? I've got to tell you, friend, you're exactly who God wants to use. God takes delight in working in us and through us. Philippians 2.13 tells us, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Of all the creation God could have used to partner with and to labor with, he created us in his image for his glory so that he could partner with us to bring more to the knowledge of him to perpetuate honor and glory for his name. Not to affirm his honor and his glory, but to proclaim the truth of it. Because Christian, we were chosen before the foundation of the world. Not chosen as individuals, but chosen as those that have been or will be redeemed. And we are his, that we are his and will be his. And if you're listening and you don't know that you're chosen, that God loves you, that God cares for you and that his grace is sufficient to cover all sins. What better time to know that than now? And you may say, well, I don't, I don't know how that works. It sounds pretty complicated. Listen, friend, the beauty is in the simplicity. See, sin is anything we do that violates God's law. And like David, you have to know you violated his law. Have you ever lied? No, I mean, like, at all. Even a little white lie? Did you ever lie as a child? Did someone have to teach you how to lie? Because if you've ever lied, then you're guilty. And not just guilty of lying, which is bearing false witness, you're guilty of all of it. If, if you've lied, you're guilty of adultery, you're guilty of murder, you're guilty of idol worship. The Bible says that if we keep every other law and break even one, we're guilty of breaking the whole thing. And you can find that in James 2 and verse 10. And once you've come to that place, you have to realize that you'll never be able to change that. Nothing you can do will ever be enough to pay that debt. And then Christ comes and he died for us, even though we were sinners. You can find that in the Bible in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. But why did he die? Well, he lived a sinless life. He didn't break a single part of the law. So he wasn't even guilty. And because he was perfect, he was the only person that could die for us. Once he died, his death was enough of a payment to cover every sin debt from the dawn of time to the end of it. Once and for all, Christ died, and his payment can cover your sin. And all you have to do is believe it. Believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, paid your debt that you couldn't pay yourself. This is the beauty of salvation. This is the glory and honor God has crowned us with, that we could be made sons and daughters of an almighty God who in the person of the Son spoke the untold and yet undiscovered universe into existence. And despite the fact that we will not all be saved, for God to give lowly mankind dominion Over his creation to make us the stewards of his wonderful works and make no mistake we are stewards now i'm not asking us to buy into if we don't take care of the earth and take climate change seriously we'll all be ocean dwellers in 200 years believe what you want to about climate change as christians we know that's not how it all ends However, a wise steward is wise with the resources entrusted to him. Sustainability, while it is very buzzwordy, at its core calls us to simply be good stewards of our resources. This is why I can get on board with some facets of sustainability. It's in our interest to plant a tree when we harvest a tree. It's in our best interest to caretakingly hunt and abide by the laws of the land as we kill animals for meat. It's not wise to hunt animals for sport. It is wise to utilize as much of a resource as we can to ensure that no part is wasted. And while I don't ascribe to the paganistic nature worship that many ancient and current civilizations ascribe to, There is some wisdom to be found in how they utilize the resources provided to us by God through his marvelous creation. And shame on us for allowing them to appropriate that wisdom from our common ancestors and not holding on to that as a Western culture and specifically as Christians. God didn't put all these things under our feet for us to trample on them. He put them there to nurture and care for them, for us to be caretakers of his creation, to use wisely the resources he has placed at our fingertips and at our disposal. As Christian, that means everything we put our hands to, we are to be wise stewards. To give God the glory in our daily lives, to make stewardship part of our worship. You know, dressing and keeping the garden was not part of the curse that God put on Adam and Eve. They were given the stewardship to dress and keep the garden before the fall. It was the hardship in the labor that was part of the curse, not the labor itself. So we should remember that work in itself is not something that we have been punished with. Work is good, and God is pleased when we work well. In our stewardship, and our work is definitely part of our stewardship, are we glorifying Him? Well, Tom, I mean, the work I do, there's nothing really for God to get glory. You know, I disagree. Is it God-honoring when we do our absolute best? At our job? What I mean by absolute best is that when we're given a task to complete, do we ensure we understand it? Do we pursue the right tools and knowledge to equip us properly to do the job? And do we do it in a timely manner with excellence? And to be fair, when I say things like that sometimes, I kind of step on my own toe a little bit but it hurts when the Bible hits that close to home, doesn't it? Are we the employee that's constantly walking around trying to start up conversations with everyone, distracting them from their work? Or are we the employee that our boss comes to and says, hey, you know what? I appreciate the work you're doing. Keep it up. Are we the employee that keeps doing the work with a sense of urgency and excellence even when our boss doesn't come and say that to us? Are we the business owner that strives to build good relationship with employees, vendors, and customers in dealing with them fairly and above board? Or do we look to cut corners at every turn and wait until the last possible minute to honor our commitments to our customers or our vendors? See, all of these things are reflections of our stewardship. He's given us dominion. Let's honor him in what we do, in how we work, because all of these things are also reflections of our worship. He didn't have to give it to us at all. As David says, who are we? We can't soar majestically unassisted like an eagle, we can't dive to the depths of the sea and see the wonders in the parts of the ocean floor unassisted. We can't fly to the moon and play among the stars unassisted. There are many things God has created that are much more cause for wonderment than lowly human kind. But praise his name, he desires a relationship with only one creature in his creation, us. Like David, how can we not cry out as we think of how he selected us and loved us and with David say, Jehovah, most high God, the self-existent, all-knowing, all-powerful creator of the universe. How excellent, how marvelous, how wonderful, how unspeakable is your name. Higher than any mountaintop greater than any ocean sunset, grander than the Grand Canyon, more wondrous than any galaxy seen in a telescope that fills us with measured awe. Our awe for you should be immeasurable. Your name alone in all the earth is worthy of our worship. Your name above the heavens only worthy of of all of our worship, you are protector, redeemer, salvation, healer, our righteousness, our strength. Our Father, you know, of all the names, none seem to me more excellent in this moment than that. You call me your son. I'm a part of your family and always will be for eternity. That this lowly, sinful wretch of a man can call the God of David, just as David did, Father. How excellent is your name in all the earth. Y'all, thanks for walking with me a while as we read the word together. Won't you join me again next week and we'll walk just a little further. If you like the podcast, go ahead and hit that follow button. If you have any questions about salvation or general podcast questions, Uh, reach out to us via email at podcast at lakeworthbaptist.org. Go ahead and follow us on Instagram and Facebook by looking for LWBC underscore publications.